My name's Andrew. Uh, some of you haven't met me, maybe, because I've been gone. It's my habit. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my habit to take July, a good portion of July, off. And uh, we were blessed to do a little traveling, my wife Jody and I. And so, uh, really glad to be back, thankful to be with you again, and really grateful. I want to express my gratitude to those who preached uh, while I was gone. Uh, just such a wonderful treat. This week, I was able to get on the podcast and listen to uh, Paul Sluice and listen to Ong Lip. Well, actually, Ong Lip, I was here for Ong Lip's sermon, and to listen to Kate uh, Kruzenga and uh, to listen to Martin Kang as well. And man, I, each sermon really hit me in a really profound way. And I was moved and I, I was able to get something really rich out of every single one of those messages. Uh, I was like, man, I should, I should do this more. I was just going through my week and listening to these. And um, what I loved was you saw two things happening that were really powerful. Uh, I, by, by the way, Paul also preached, but you know, he's our regular guy. So, you know, we... I love his preaching too. But I want to celebrate these four people who preached and, and um, the, the work that they put into digging into God's word. Like you could really feel that they were digging in deep. And you know, when they had done many shovels full, they took another one and, and dug even deeper. And that was just really a blessing. And then out of that came these personal experiences. And I just absolutely loved how those scriptures, I mean, they got to choose the scriptures so it tied with their, their kind of journey in life in a really special way. And, and these people I know well, and I could just see that. And I was so moved and blessed by uh, each one of those. So thank you to those of you who uh, stepped up to the plate and really made, made July possible. There's Kate, she's walking back in. You missed my whole affirmation of you. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, um, well, let me pray, because we're going to jump in now to a new series, and I just want to ask the Lord to be with us in this series as we, as we ask the question, you know, why do we do church? And uh, just, just grateful, Lord, we, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, you're here present with us. This, you are a living God. We're not just doing something sort of uh, by rote here. We don't know what's going to happen right now. We don't know how you're going to move in our lives. You, we don't know how you're going you're gonna to touch us by your spirit and work through your words. So, we, we just ask that you, that all of what happens here will be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and you are our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So why do we do church? This is the question we're going to grapple with over the next few weeks and a lot of different answers to this question. So we're not even going to get to all of them. But you know, we, we get together on Sunday morning like this and we worship. We get together in homes and we form these communities, these, these home groups, and we do life together. And uh, then within that, sometimes we create these Emmaus partnerships and we get together and share really the deep, deep things about our lives, what's going on, and encourage one another. We pray for each other. That's one of the most powerful things that we do. Yesterday, I literally had no voice. Like, I'd never experienced this before. I couldn't speak. And so I asked about 20 people to pray that I would have a good rest. And, and I had the best sleep last night. It was amazing. So I'm going to try and do this every night. Could those 20 people just pray for me every night um, to sleep well? Um, and I have enough of a voice, hopefully, to make it through two, two services today uh, by God's grace. But we pray for each other. That's one of the things that we do. Uh, 
And then we, we serve one another. We get together uh, with our agape teams. We serve in the community. We volunteer to uh, help out on a Sunday morning or to lead a home group or to help with children or do youth ministry and go away to this crazy Hume Lake. And we do it even when it's inconvenient. That's part of what being a church together is. And we do all those things. And, and then we get really deep into each other's lives. I, I, you know, I look at my text thread and messages and WhatsApp throughout the week. And I don't even know how many messages flow back and forth between people in this community. And I hope you're experiencing some measure of that as well. That people are in your life and, and they're praying for you. And we, we celebrate birthdays together. We celebrate holidays. And, and we participate some of the, the most cherished and sweetest moments in life. We get to participate, you know, when there's a passing of somebody. We, we, we're, that's when the church really steps in, you know, and, um, and when there's a marriage, you know, just all these things. And so why do we do, why do we do what we do? Why do we do church? It's good for us every now and then to step back and ask the question so that we're really focused when we come into this community, when we participate in community, on what it is that God's accomplishing. And that's what this series is going to be, be about. Um, and, and, and it's important for us to ask this question because uh, there are a lot of, of challenges to the church that are always present within the world, but you know, there's a societal perspective from which we address this question uh, over the course of history in the United States, not elsewhere in the world, but in the United States, the church has been on decline. And so it's good for us to ask the question, well, why do we participate in church? There's a cultural perspective we can look at it from. There is some negativity and sometimes even hostility towards the church in our culture that m many would say is probably increasing on, on some level. And so that becomes a force that works on us. And so we have to ask the question, why do we do church? And then there's always the personal journey that we're on. We're, we're, we're being buffeted and challenges by all kinds of things in our lives. And uh, sometimes we're busy and we feel overwhelmed. And, and there's a temptation to kind of let go of this important discipline of being part of the church community. And so we want to circle back and say, well, why are, why are we, why, why, how can we connect the dots between the challenges and the struggles we're facing and our participation in the church community? Those are the questions we want to grapple with over these next few weeks. And uh, each week we're going to look at a specific answer uh, to the question, why church? And uh, our first text is going to come from 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up there. We'll also put it on the screen. Um, and what we ultimately are going to find today is that one of the compelling reasons for being a part of the church is the relationship between the church and truth. The relationship between the church and and truth. So we're going we're gonna to get to that. We're going to do a little uh, uh, preliminaries uh, to get there because the text is going to take us in that direction. Um, we all, I think, want our lives to be rooted in the truth, right? Intuitively, we know that truth is good, that it's healthy for us, that it's stabilizing. And, you know, who wants to live a life based on lies, right? Who wants to live a life based on a lie? So according to God's design, the church... And we're going to see this, this is what this passage is saying, helps us to live a life that is rooted in the truth. That's part of the purpose of the church, to help us to live a life that is rooted in the church. Tr truth. Excuse me. So open up to 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, and let's explore the relationship between the church and truth together. 
this morning. Now, let me a little background on what's going on here. We, we're just jumping into this book. Typically, we like to go through a book, and so over time, you'll get the context of that book. Uh, but sometimes we do a topical sermon series like this, Why Church? And so we're jumping into various different texts. So let me give you just a little bit of a thumbnail here on 1 Timothy. The Apostle Paul was a servant of the early church. So those of you who are new to this whole thing. The Apostle Paul, you probably heard his name, was a servant of the early church. And the Lord used him to start so many churches all around that he had to raise up additional leaders to serve and to shepherd those churches. And one of those leaders was named Timothy. And by the grace of God, we have this precious letter uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him uh, in the work of shepherding the church. Uh, and so now you have to remember that this is, a, this is a time when Paul is writing to Timothy. This is a time when people's belief systems were kind of all over the place, uh, both, you know, outside of the church. And, and then some of that starts to infiltrate into the community of the church. And there were these self-appointed authority figures who were bringing a mixture of views into the church that had nothing to do with the true Jesus, and so part of the job of Timothy to serve the church was to sort all that out. And it was a tough thing, right? It was a hard thing to do. Uh, and so Paul's writing to encourage him in that work. But the same thing happens today, right? No, n- nothing has changed in all the passage of these years. Uh, only, only the craziness of and variety of worldviews is now like put on steroids because of social media, right? I mean, how many times, I've, I've been having these interesting conversations with people and they're like telling me all these details about some subject that I had, didn't know they knew anything about and now they're experts in it. And, and all of a sudden they say, yeah, I found this new TikTok person, you know, and it's like, you know, that's where they're learning everything, right? All of the, the belief Belief systems and the views uh, are, are being put on steroids be, and amplified in our lives. And so we have this similar kind of thing. And in the midst of the chaos back then, Paul is, he's seeking to do two things. He's reminding Timothy how to shepherd the church. And we're not really going to get into that part of it because that's the larger flow of the book. What I want to jump into today is, crucially, in the process of doing that, he's reminding Timothy why he should shepherd the church. Why does the church matter? Why does the church matter? He's reminding Timothy, look, I know this work you're doing is going to be hard, but this is why it matters. And so we're going we're gonna to pull up our chair right alongside Paul talking to Timothy here and listen to why does the church matter and then glean some things for our lives. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.14, I hope to come to you soon. One of the things I love about the New Testament is how the lessons come out of these real events and real relationships, right? I mean, I hope to come to you soon. I mean, this is like real time. They're doing life. And so it's not somebody doing, you know, armchair theology, sitting back and just thinking theoretically. They're in the midst of life together, which I really love that about the, the New Testament. And it's all that way. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's our text for today. I want to say two things. First of all, understand what the church is 
And then, secondly, let the church help you understand. So understand the church, let the church help you understand. Paul says uh, in the first part, under the topic of understand the church, two things that are pretty earth-shattering about the people who gather themselves together in the name of Jesus. And are, because they gather in the name of Jesus, they are the church. He says two things about this group of people. First, he calls it the household of God. The household of God. Now just consider that for a second. God says of these people, of you and of me, gathered here together like this, and we gather in our homes, and we, we do life together under the name of Jesus. He says, you're my household. The household of God. That's one of the strongest statements that can be made about the intimacy between people. So to say that you're in the same household. That, that he's willing to identify, God is willing to identify himself in that way. He's proud to call this ragtag band of what oftentimes seems like misfits, right? His people. My parents just moved into a retirement home. My mom has dementia, and so she sort of fits there. My dad is in a different place, and I can see him as he's walking around this retirement home, and he's just asking himself this question. Is, it, are these my people? Right? That's a hard moment to be in. Are these my people? And you're forced to think about it, right? That catatonic woman sitting in the corner in a chair who hasn't moved in the last five days that you've been there. Like, you're forced to ask the question, you know, are these, are, dad, you know, are these my people? And then you remember that every human being is made in the image of God. And that this person over here, you know, is an amazing creation waiting to be released into fullness of life, which is what happens in eternity with Jesus Christ. And so you remember, and, and God looks at the church like this, and a lot of us are broken and struggling, and we might not be, you know, looking so great on the outside. Um, and, and, and God says, these are my people. It's a really precious word that, that is used in the Old Testament. It's in Hebrew, it's segula. And we don't do many Hebrew or Greek words, but sometimes we do because it helps us to capture an idea that's really important. And segula it means treasured possession. And God says of his people, you are my treasured possession. It's like you are my household. Exodus 19, 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey, obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. He's speaking to the people of Israel, but later in the New Testament, Peter will apply that same scripture to the church. So we therefore are also the segula, the treasured people of God. We are God's treasured possession, like the thing that you put up in the corner. My, my grandpa, who died long ago, uh, lived in a log cabin, panned for gold when he was a young, young man. And the cabin stayed there on the Fraser River or something up in Canada. And uh, later he went and got a big chunk of wood from the cabin or several chunks. And he whittled it down and he made cabins for all of his grandchildren. And so I have this little cabin that's made out of the wood from my grandpa's cabin in Canada when he was panning for gold as a young man. 
And he gave a bigger one to all the kids and then to all the grandkids, a smaller one that he made by hand uh, before he died. And why is that such a, why is that a treasured possession to me? Because it has all these intimate connections with my household, right? And God is saying, this, you are my household. That's how much he loves you. This explains why then he would take on flesh and go to the cross. Because of that deep love. It's out of that depth of that love and that intimacy. And this is an identity statement. And before we really talk about anything related to the church, we have to understand this sense of identity, who we are. We are the household of God. The church is the household of God. And it's out of the depth of his love that he ultimately gives himself fully for us. But it's not just about who the church is. It's also about what goes on in the church. In the next phrase, Paul says that this is the church of the living God. The living. I want you to focus on that word living. Underline that word. This is the church of the living God. In other words, the church is God's workspace. This is where he works out his artistry across the canvas of human lives. This is his art studio. The church is God's concert hall. The church is his sports arena, his stadium, where the living God works out his purposes and plans in the lives of regular old human beings. Wow. That changes the way we walk into this place to worship. That changes the way we think about gathering in our home groups. That changes the way we pray for each other. Because we're not just saying things to make the other person feel good. We're calling on the living God to move in that person's life when we pray for them. This is what's happening in the context of the church. It's the place of the, the living God. When I was in, so we went on this break that we had in July. There was a wedding in France. So we went to France for the wedding. So any of you want to get married in exotic places, that's, uh, we'll, we'll try and be there. Um, but, you know, then we spent some time on, on vacation. And, of course, when you're in a place like that, you end up seeing cathedrals. And it's amazing. And you walk into these cathedrals and you can see the design of the architect. Sometimes 500, sometimes 1,000 years before they had this vision. And there in the cathedral is the vision materialized, manifest in this beautiful building and you marvel. It's remarkable to see these. But you know what? All those architects are dead. The architect of this church, of this cathedral, is still living. And he's still building. And he's not using soulless, breathless stones to create his church. He's using living, breathing People. That's what the Bible refers to you and to me as living stones. And God, the great architect, is putting, the living architect is putting them together to build this church, which is a blessing to him and to the world. That's what's happening in the church. So we need to understand, as we start to talk about why we do church, there's an identity and then there's an activity related to the church that we have to grapple with. Each one of you has a spiritual gift from God. You are a living stone. I keep joking with everybody, you know, we're not on Solano Avenue anymore, so, you know, we should change our name to Living Stones uh, Community Church. That's not a proposal. I'm just saying it, but I'm interested to see what you think. Um, living Stones, because, because the church is people 
gathered together, who each one is precious to God and been given a role and a purpose in the larger whole. And we have to continually to work at seeing each other that way. And it doesn't help when I'm standing up here to preach because it gets things out of balance. But you know what? This is just one function and there are so many functions. You are the paintbrush with which God is painting on his canvas. You understand? You are the paintbrush with which, you are the instrument through which he is making a beautiful sound. You're the ball he's kicking around. That one doesn't work as well, right? The field, if you, if you take it in the sports. Uh, although sometimes it does feel like that. Um, the, God is, this is his workspace, his playing field. The living God is at work in this place and in your life. So understand that the church is the household of God and it is emanating. It emanates from the living God. So then, when you get that understanding, when you understand how important this is to God, that it's his household and all of that, then you can start to ask the question about this relationship between truth. And this is where the text takes us. We come to this third description of the church. Um, let the church help you your understanding. Remember, Timothy is engaged in some tough stuff in the church context, and you know that whenever it gets tough and difficult, there's a temptation to run away. And so Paul is reminding Timothy of the utter and the complete and the, the profound importance of the church so that Timothy will stick with it. And sometimes we need that reminder as well. We need that, we need that reminder of why this is important because in the moment, we can lose sight of it and do stupid things. And so uh, according to Paul, um, you want to stay close, particularly close to the church because it has special relationship to the, tr to the truth. You want to you stay particularly close to the church because it has a special relationship to the truth. This is what he says. I hope to come to you soon. Where do I this? But I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know uh, how one ought to behave in the household of God. That was our first phrase, which is the church of the living God. That was our second phrase. And now the third one, a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar and buttress of the truth. What is truth? As somebody famously asked also in the Bible. Uh, and, and you know the answer uh, pointed in the same direction that we're going to get to here. The next verses help us to understand what the truth is. You see, he, 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 he says the pillar and buttress of truth. And then in the next verse, he recites what is most likely a creed that the early church recited. And I want you to notice something about this in verse 16. That the truth is not merely a set of intellectual statements. Okay, there are statements here. But ultimately, the truth is a person. The truth is a person. And I was, I loved, I didn't even know, I mean, Jody and I, we both have, we can't talk, so I didn't even know uh, some of the details that she shared about Hume Lake, because we weren't able to talk last night when we got home, we are trying to save our voices. Um, and, um, and, and, and that's what they're talking about, Hume, tr truth is a person. And so listen to these, this verse 16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, so he what is truth? He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. They probably said that again and again to each other. Maybe they sang it. This was part of what anchored them in the process of doing church. And the creed is basically an outline of the life and the impact of Jesus. His birth, his resurrection, that's what vindicated by the Spirit likely refers to. He's vindicated by the Spirit 
Remember, he was raised in the power of the Holy Spirit, that same spirit then which lives in us, Ephesians. So he's being made known to the world, uh, and then belief is placed in him by the world, and his glorification ensues, follows from that. It's his whole life. Truth is a person. That's what this verse says. Truth is a person. And we have to turn our normal conception of truth and people upside down to understand what God is doing. We're going to get here. We're going to get to why the church is critical in this, in this process. But we usually ask, is that person truthful, right? I mean, that's a normal thing to ask. And we look at media. We look at people that we're meeting. We, we wonder, is that person truthful, right? And that's a fair thing to ask about a human, human being. But when you're talking about God, you flip it around. God doesn't have to live up to some standard of truth. God creates the standard of truth, and all truth flows from God. So we flip it around, and we come to Jesus. It's the same thing. You don't come to Jesus and say, well, does he live up to true things? No, he defines the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The truth is a person. God defines truth. But that doesn't mean, just because that's true, that's the reality, that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as statements that are also true. Truth can also reside in statements, can be put into words. Otherwise, why would, we, why would I stand up here and, and talk? Why would we open up our Bibles? See, truth, can, truth is ultimately a person, but then from there it flows into statements and words. See, that's, isn't it interesting that the Bible refers to Jesus as the Word of God and to itself as the word of God. See, we oftentimes want to drive a wedge. We want to say, well, I like Jesus. He's, I like what you say. Jesus is the truth. Good. I'm just going to focus on Jesus. I'm not going to worry about the Bible and all these other things. And we put a wedge between Jesus, the word, and the scripture, the word. But that's the wrong way to go. In fact, that's not how Jesus looked at his Bible. He had the Old Testament's Bible. He said, not one jot or tittle shall pass. So if you really want to follow Jesus, you've got to read the Bible like Jesus reads the Bible. And he sees it as the word of God. And he, and he fulfills it in his life. It's his duty to fulfill the word of God in his life. So we need to pull the wedge out between Jesus and the word of God. And let them be one. When we're reading the Bible, we're reading the mind of Jesus. Think of it that way. When we're reading the Bible, we're reading the mind of Jesus. That's powerful. All right, so, so then... Uh, all of this is aimed at helping us to align our lives with God. See, it's not just so you can pass a test. Really what God is hoping for and wanting and working towards is for you to align your life with him. And that's what embracing the truth is ultimately about. It's about aligning your thinking with the thinking of God. It's being in tune with God. There's so much... Um, more than, than merely assenting to statement of facts. So Jody and I can both agree, my wife Jody and I can agree that, you know, they make wine in, in Italy, right? Yeah, that's a statement of fact. But how different is that from us sitting alongside a Venetian canal and enjoying a glass of wine together? Night and day. We're actually, you know, both are true, but one is, is a shadow 
of the depth and the richness of the truth. And our relationship with God is, that's what he, he wants us to move into a space where we're not just simply saying, oh yeah, that's true, that's true. But we're actually aligning our thinking and our activities and the adventures of our lives with him so that everything we're doing is in relationship with God. And that's why it's so important to embrace the truth. Because uh, the truth is partnering. It's aligning with God in the adventure of life. It's to do things he does, to think the things he thinks, to love the things he loves, to love in the way that God loves. That's what it really means to embrace the truth. And the church, Paul says, is the pillar and the buttress of truth. So a pillar supports a heavy roof. Uh, a buttress does the same, but from the outside and the word in Greek is a little bit complicated. We don't know if it's a buttress. It could also be a foundation. I mean, these are technical architectural terms that go way back. And so, but the point is still the same. It's, it's, it's an architectural feature that provides support to an essential element that is very heavy. That's what the pillar and the buttress is. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that mean that the church, like without the church, then, then truth wouldn't exist? that the church has this really important role of, of supporting truth, that it would fall down without the church? I don't think so. Because God is the truth. And God would be whether there'd be a church or not. In other words, the truth doesn't, doesn't need the church. So that's not the way to read that verse. The way to read that verse, what is it that it's supporting? What is it that it's upholding? And what the church is upholding is the, the value and the importance of, the, of truth in your life. That's the role of the church. It's a pillar, a pillar and a buttress to support the truth in your life. What Paul's saying is that there's a church, that the church has this crucial role of holding up and elevating the truth uh, as you do life. That's why... The answer to the question, why do we do church? One of the answers is because it holds up the truth in your life. It elevates the truth in your life. And you've got, you're being buffeted on a daily basis by all kinds of worldviews and ideas and perspectives that are coming in at you left, right, and center. And then you're wondering and you're thinking in your own mind. And it's really easy for you to start to shift vectors and to get off of of, of what's actually, you know, flowing and emanating from Jesus, the truth. It's really easy to get off of that. And one of the roles of the church is to pull you back. It's to support the, church, the, the truth, the upholding of the truth in your life. That's what the church does. Not all that it does, but according to this passage, one of the important things that it does. So that's why church, church matters because truth matters. We all want to live a life of truth. In fact, more importantly than that, we all want to live a life with God. We all want to live a life with God. And so embracing the truth ultimately is embracing God and doing life with God. So this is why we go to church. This is why we I don't even like to say the phrase go to church because it communicates the wrong thing. I don't, I, I, there's no other word in English for I don't like to refer to this building as the church because the church is the people, the living stones. 
So the real question is, why do you participate in the church? Why, do you, why are you a part of this community of faith? And the reason is because God is using it in your life to uphold the truth. He's calling you back time and time again. He's helping you to embrace the truth. So be the church, embrace the church, love the church, serve the church, do church. Because as you do, you will be approximating your life, you will be aligning your life, you will be tuning your life into the truth, which is not a propositional statement, but is actually the very God of the universe. So Lord, would you help us in this coming season as we're in August and September coming back from travels, or some travels are still happening, I'm sure, but as we're reflecting on this coming year and what is going to be at the core of our lives, we want ultimately at the core of our lives for there to be a deep and abiding relationship with you. That's what we want. We hunger for it. We need it. We were made for it. We were designed for it. And you've made it possible in Jesus Christ. So would you give us freedom and joy in the pursuit of you together as we draw near to the truth, as we study the truth in Scripture, and as that studying brings us closer to the one who is the living God and moving in our midst. And Lord, I pray that in this coming season, we would see a releasing of your spirit, of the living God within our context as we draw close to the truth, that we would see lives being transformed, people being aligned with Jesus Christ in ways that they hadn't anticipated before, um, uh, problems being addressed, you know, um, struggles being uh, met, um, relationships being healed, uh, and on and on and on. All the things, would you paint in vivid colors in the midst of our community in this coming season as you release your spirit because we are seeking you and your truth. God, this is what we pray for and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.